I was thinking about it. It's like, what is my, what is my legacy to my kids? And I, I, when I was thinking about the game, I was like, well, this is nearly 40 years of development. And this is something that uh, I can pass on to them. And it's something that they can hold in their hands and say, this is something that dad did. And uh, that's, that's relatable. And, and so, yeah, I, I have thought about that, that in a way, um, you know, regardless of the other things that I've done in my life, that this is a reflection of my life in many ways. And uh, it is my legacy. Hi, welcome to the Daiku Podcast. I am Gary Snow, and with me is Jason Oberman, who is the author and creator of 6083, which is the sci-fi military role-playing game that uh, is over 30 years in the making, almost 40 years in the making. And uh, Jason, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Gary. It's a pleasure to be here. And so as I hinted at, I mean, you have been developing this game uh, for over 30 years, almost 40 years now. And yep. uh, I really want to learn more about your process and how it got to this point. So maybe we can just dive right back into that and just tell us a little bit about your past and maybe start off with uh, growing up in Alaska. Okay. Well, I, I think that uh, growing up in Alaska is, is really key to that um, because I, I grew up in the middle of nowhere. And uh, so no game stores, uh, you know, the closest game store was, oh God, um, like eh, 80, 80 miles away but only accessible by boat or airplane because we didn't have a road out to where we live. Um, so, what part of Alaska were you in? It's a little town called Squintna. And if you uh, follow the Iditarod race, it is one of the first checkpoints on the Iditarod trail. Um, once you get away from Anchorage and start going north, it's a, it's a, a checkpoint. And uh, it's just a, it's a town that is, used to be, a, it was a World War II runway uh when because uh we had some runways and some facilities facilities in remote alaska during world war ii and it got con uh converted into an faa weather station which means basically one person who reads the weather from there and then um and then so there's a post office there um there was a school i don't think there is anymore um but it doesn't matter because within the area of like um i don't know 500 square miles. Well, no, not no. I would say 100 square miles. There's probably about 40 or 50 families and you know, no roads. So, I'm sorry about all that barking. That's all right. Animals are part of the show. That's okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, they're going off about something. But anyway, um, so yeah, so I, I had a friend of mine who uh, his family was really into D&D, &D, but I'd never heard of it. And I was, my mind was blown. Uh, but uh, that was the only D&D book within, you know, 100 square miles. And so I got to look at it, but they were pretty protective about it because it was expensive. And, um, you know, I think his dad owned it. And, um, and so uh, I really wanted to play, but I really didn't do anything but watch. But, uh, but uh as a, as a result of that, you know, I decided, well, if I can't play, I'm too poor to, to go find anything. I can't get anywhere. Uh, so I'll make my own. And I really love science fiction. And so I went about uh, making my own game. And that's how it all started. And, you know, the first draft was 
actually really terrible. It was like 30 pages long and uh, I didn't know what I was doing. I just kind of like saw how they played it and uh, I knew I wanted to be different. I, I was sure you know, very careful not to copy anything from D and D cause I was like, well, you know, I don't want to copy. I want to make something new and, and interesting. And, uh, but you know, the first draft was pretty awful, but you know, I had the fortune of having a few friends that lived uh, within uh, at that time. They were my closest friends and they were like five miles away. And, uh, but they were willing to play it, you know? So uh, we played it all winter and we had a blast. And then, uh, you know, I had notes and then over the summer, um, you know, I refined it and came out, came out with a, basically a second uh, version of it. And that second version is kind of really what drove, you know, I, I guess the development of it because uh, my friends really liked that. I ended up taking that version with me wherever I went in the world after that. So when I graduated high school and left Alaska, you know, I went other places uh, with the military and uh, I always, you know, gamers find each other and I found a group of gamers and uh, they, were okay to play with it and then pretty soon they got hooked and so and that's kind of the cycle that repeated wherever i went and so over that time period of me being in the military um you know it just kept getting developed and kept getting added to and um, that's really how we got to where we are now because uh one of my original game uh group friends you know i'm still in contact with and he actually gave me kind of like a soft ultimatum. He's like, look, either you publish this thing or, uh, you know, give me the material and I'll transcribe it. And I was like, no, I can't do that. How will I publish it? You know? And he's like, well, self-publishing. And I was like, I really had to think about it. And I was like, well, he's got a point. And I'd had uh, people for years from my gaming group, a lot of different gaming groups are like, man, you should really publish this. And I was like, no, how am I going to do that? I have no industry connections. Um, but I started looking into self-publishing and I had done a, a couple of book covers for uh, an author that was doing self-publishing. So I kind of had understood what was going on. And I, I just decided to commit to it. And I figured if I don't, I have this stack of materials um, and a well-tested game uh, that is just going to end up in the attic someday and it's probably going to get tossed in a dumpster because nobody's going to know what it is, you know? So uh, I thought, well, you know, rather than that, why not, um, why not actually publish it and, and put all that experience and testing into a uh, finalized product. And so that's, that's how we got here. Well, and so let's just maybe back up and talk about the development process of how different is it from that, those, like, how old were you when you first started uh, designing it? Oh God, like I think 12 or 13. 12, I was pretty 13. young. Yeah. So from that original document, 36 pages or whatever that you said it was, um, was there like kind of big blips of evolution in that process where you, after that initial period that you entered the military? So um, from the first version, it was just a D6 system. It used 3D6 and um, used a single D6 for stat checks and 3D6 for combat. And um, as, 
it sort of stayed that way for a little while, but, but the, the biggest, uh, the first evolution was going into the second version of it because it went from, uh, a single, you know, pamphlet basically to three separate books. And, um, and that was a pretty big, uh, jump because there was a book for me as a GM for the rules and there was a book for the players so that they could handle, uh, player progression, you know, character progression and, you know, uh, buying skills and things like that. And then there was an equipment manual and I had evolved it into three separate books because that's how we were playing it at the table because some players wanted to look at equipment and buy equipment. And so, you know, they wanted that. And then the other players, you know, were concerned about their skills and I needed to have the rules and it just, it made sense to have that split into three separate volumes for us because then we weren't having to fight over books. So that was the first big evolution of, of the game is going from one, one single pamphlet to three, you know, separate defined books. And then, um, I would say after that, I had kind of, uh, I was fascinated by polyhedral dice, but I was kind of avoiding them. Um, because at the time, you know, they were kind of a luxury and I had sort of raided my, uh, parents Yahtzee set to get my dice. So, um, so I was trying to keep everything with, uh, D6s and, and when I, when I got to Europe, a gaming group there, they had played, uh, they were a bunch of pretty experienced gamers and they're like, why don't you just do percentile dice? And I was like, I was against it. Right. <laughs> and uh, I was like, no, it's only D6. And I had worked out conversion tables for percentiles using 3D6 and stuff. But but it just never worked out right. And then I think I think one of my gaming group gifted me a set of, of uh, percentile dice. And I was like, fine. And so um, all, skills, all skills and uh, ability checks um, switched over to percentile. And it made the game so much easier for me as a GM. And, uh, so that was a, that was the second really big evolution of the game is going from trying to, instead of trying to handle everything with these sixes, um, you know, pushing the skill checks over to percentiles just made a lot of sense and it just streamlined a whole lot of things. So, um, so that, that was, you know, you didn't have those, uh, dice at the beginning, right? So uh, you you did not had on hand, right. You got to work with what you have. Well, and, and funny enough, like it wasn't just that. It wasn't just because I didn't have them. The uh, the satanic panic was in full swing as well. And so, um, you know, having polyhedral dice was considered to be, you know, the mark of the beast or something. And so, uh, you know, I, I avoided them because I didn't want to get, um, you know, I didn't, I didn't want to stop playing. And so I guess in my mind, this, as long as I was using D6, it was safe you know, as a kid, um, it turns out that my parents really didn't care, you know? And so like, I had all this, uh, anxiety over nothing, but you know, but it certainly was a little bit of, of satanic panic going on though, even in my remote neighborhood. So, um, but yeah, so I didn't have the dice to begin with and, you know, and I, I was worried about the stigma of using polyhedrals, but you know, I love polyhedrals and this game uses all of them. So, you know, 
And then when you first uh, entered the military, I mean, I've had friends that have like, you know, Canadian military, so different than U.S. We uh, Canadians do not see as much action as uh, the U.S. military, but uh, I've heard other people that have played uh, in the military and like you develop a lot of cohesiveness and then you have a lot of downtime um, mm -hmm. that you, and so it, it's a nice activity that, you know, it's pe pencil and paper and it's like, some dice so that you can actually do something that's creative and a little bit of escapism as you're stationed. Uh, so how did that, like, just tell us what, what would be a day in the life of, of yourself in the military and playing and squeezing it in and how, how does that work? So when you're not deployed, it's fairly easy. And, you know, we did what I think a lot of gamers around that age do. Cause you know, I was like 19 at that time, you know, and, so like in my twenties, you know, that area, if I wasn't deployed, um, you know, we would do our work week, which in the military, that's extensive, you know, um, so it's long hours and we might play on a, you know, on a work night, but come Friday night, you know, we would play from Friday until, um, Sunday afternoon and we would just, you know, order pizza and, you know, drink, uh, drink sodas and stuff. And, and so it was just like a one long game session and that was our weekend. But during deployments, um, you know, it gets really hard because you really don't have downtime. And, um, so what we would end up doing, um, because part of my game group deployed with me, um, and part of them were from another unit. So, uh, we didn't get deployed or we didn't get to play until the end of the deployment. Uh, when we all ran into each other, but, um, but during deployment, um, so we would, you know, just kind of work it in. And one of the beauties of having a, a role-playing game, um, is that you're right. You just need some dice and you need a, you know, a pencil and some paper and, and that's about it. Now I'm lucky because, you know, I, because I created the game, you know, I have a thorough understanding of the rules. And so a lot of times, um, it would end up being like one-on-one -on -one role playing with another player. If we were on guard duty or something, you know, in guard duty, you got to keep your eyes up and, you know, on the horizon and, you know, make sure nobody's coming. But so we would be doing that. But at the same time, you know, we would have, you know, our dice and, you know, uh, we'd be playing the game. And so I remember one time in particular, um, we were on a, uh, a an hour guard shift and uh, we were going through this intense encounter and our relief came twice and we sent them away and because we weren't done with it and they're like you don't want to come off of guard duty no, no we're busy you know <laughs> um, and so uh so we we spent like three hours you know resolving this encounter and it turned out to be really epic but you know that was the only way that we could get through it was to stay on guard duty because if we'd gone back to um the tents uh you know uh, we would probably get tasked with something else. And so like, staying on guard duty at that time was the best option. But yeah, we just kind of fit it in where we could get it in. Um, and whenever we got a few down, a uh, few moments of downtime, try and play a little bit. There's a lot of character making going on because you can do that independently. Uh, some of my players would be making characters and stuff. And show up, like we'd go in passing, like, hey, I need this character. <laughs> and, uh, you know, check it out. So... So you do what you can. How did the military and your experience 
in the military inform the game as far as like the equipment and the tactics and, and all those types of things? Well, I, I think that, um, you know, cause you don't want anything to be like true to life, you know, in, in the sense of like, I don't, I don't want to make a, a game that dark, you know, um, because six, 6083's tone is, it's lightly humorous. Uh, it's, it's not meant to be super serious, but, um, so there's military humor that's hidden all over it. But, um, I think that how the military culture affected me in, in my training is that I learned how things actually work. So, um, for my first job, um, I actually, I was a, a co-pilot, uh, in helicopters. So I got to learn how aviation works and, you know, how vehicles work in, in that way. And that kind of informed how, um, you know, vehicle to vehicle combat, uh, work. And so that's sort of helped that development out a lot. And then I would say as far as like, uh, weaponry and tactics, um, that I infused a lot of what I learned into a gamified it, if that makes sense. So, Anybody who's playing combat in 6083 is not necessarily going to equate it like, oh, this is just like combat. But it does run a lot quicker um, in scene than a lot of other games. And there's a lot of specific... Uh, yeah, you have to make decisions on the fly quickly and you have to commit to actions sometimes before you understand what the result of your last actions might be. And I, I think that that's a direct result of of um you know being deployed and being in those kind of situations is that um you don't often have a lot of information feedback uh like right away so if, if you're firing your weapon you might not know what the results of that weapon you know you might not know what what happened for a little bit and i think that the game's uh, combat system kind of reflects that and then i think that the third part is is that there's a certain amount of like humor in military culture and there's certain ways that people talk and the way that they see things. And I think that if you look in a lot of the quotes, um, you'd see that reflected, uh, in, in, in those quotes. So, uh, while the, the quotes are generally not attributed to any one person, you know, it'll just be a quote underneath a piece of equipment. Um, that is, even though it's science fiction and set in the future, these are the kind of things that you might hear uh, soldiers saying about equipment nowadays. So if that makes sense. Yeah, it totally does. And maybe this is a good time now to just talk about the name 6083 and just talk about your uh, game world and like the setting itself. And how, how did you come up with the name 6083? Well, the original name of the game was 6000 AD. And, but then when I got kind of, I, I got a, um, a games magazine back in the eighties. And I saw an ad for um, a game that was, uh, I forget what it was. It was, it was either a Warhammer game or something. It was something AD. And I was like, well, that's gone. I can't use that anymore. Um, because in the back of my mind, I always had the idea that maybe someday I might publish this thing. You know, it was like wishful thinking. And I was like, well, I really need to be different in that way. So I changed the name to guardians and, um, the guard, it was guardians since 85. And when I went to, um, publish the game, 
um, I, you know, did a thorough search of game names and I found out that Guardians is taken. It's, um, it's actually a superhero game and I don't know who publishes it, but it's been established for several years. And uh, it's like, well, Guardians is out. I can't use that now. So um, I kind of went back and forth on a couple things. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to pay homage to the year that this was uh, created, 1983. And the game is set in the 6,000s. And so I was like, well, I'll just change it to 6083. It still sounds like 6,000 AD, you know, phonetically, but uh, it pays homage to the year that it was created. And it kind of rolls off the tongue really easily. So I was like, well, you know what? That feels right. And so that's how come it became 6083. And it is uh, in your notes, you had mentioned it's like aliens or starship troopers or any of those like kind of, you know, bug hunt kind of things, but just tell us about the world and like the aliens and the uh, politics and, and that sort of thing. Okay. So in a nutshell, I'll try and be succinct as possible. Um, so it's uh, 6083 when players start playing and uh the galaxy, which is actually known as Gargantua, but it's our galaxy. It's the Milky Way. Um, Terrans, Earth, have been sequestered away from the rest of the galaxy for uh, many, many thousands of years because it had the the uh, solar system, our solar system, had been the site of an uh, of a interstellar war, and it was considered to be uh, toxic, and so it was sort of just abandoned. And uh, in the meantime, um, Terrans, we came back and uh, eventually we ran into other aliens. And once we had run into other aliens, um, the galaxy realized like, oh, well, I guess it's not uninhabited over there. And so um, we became part of the galactic community. Uh, so, but there was another big war uh, that threatened to tear the galaxy apart. And the Terrans uh, were a key part of uh, defeating that threat. Um, but in the aftermath of that, the galaxy is kind of divided into a couple different, well, like three different factions. Um, the two main factions are the Central Alliance of Planets, which are the good guys. And then there's the uh, GU, the Galactic Union, which was the old leadership uh, when the war got started. Um, but they're not so much bad guys as uh, they have different goals and there's some animosity in between those two um, political groups. And then you have the Rytaxians who support the Barada, which are the Barada are, uh, they're kind of mysterious. They almost, they, well, they were bent on um, destroying uh the Galactic Union and, uh, and the CAP at that time, but they've been kind of pushed back into their own territory. The Rytaxians supported them, and so there is those that a lot ally with those factions. Um, so that's kind of the state of the galaxy, is you have these large factions. Uh, in the game, you have the run of the whole galaxy, um, but, uh, but that's kind of where it sits. And you as a character belong to a... Um, a lead organization called Capsog, or just MC, Mission Control, um, that fills the purpose of, they're kind of like the UN, 
but a little bit more specialized and a lot more elite. So um, they're peacekeepers, they do search and rescue, they do humanitarian effort, they also do combat patrols. They basically do the things that the government of the CAP can't do uh, for political reasons. So, and it, it's not just black ops stuff. It's more like that um, a small team of uh, guardians is what they're called. There's still that holdover from the second iteration of the name. Um, there's places where guardians are accepted because of their reputation that they may be able to, to go to and they may be accepted there and be able to execute their mission. Whereas CAP military forces would be, you know, they'd be prohibited from. So you fill that niche, um, but you are chronically overworked, um, understaffed and outnumbered every day. And that's, that's where you leave your, uh, that's where you start with your characters. In the character creation, uh, you've got a lot of detail to it and it's, there's no classes. It's just like building up the character that you want to make. Mm -hmm. uh, can you maybe just run us through the process of the, like the attributes and just the base mechanics, just so that people can get a understanding. And with that said, you've often, you know, in your notes, you've mentioned it's pretty crunchy, but with that crunch, it's also very uh, easy uh, to use mechanic. Well, it, it is. And I, I think that, I, I think that that's been one of the biggest questions from people that have seen the game. Um, because the core rules, like the, if you just wanted to play the game, um, you could use the quick start rules. They're only 13 pages long. That's the guts of the game. Um, the rest of the game, the rest of what's there is there to support that as far as, you know, additional rules, lore, you know, equipment, things like that. But backing up to what you asked about. Um, so character creation, well, the attributes are kind of a funny thing because you get your um, your ability scores and they're different. They're not the standard ability scores that you're used to. I remember when, when I first made the game, I was dead set on not emulating D&D, but I had no idea what those scores were. I knew what they were called, but I didn't want to emulate them. And so we started, I think, with just like four or five uh, ability scores. And then it was like mental vision and hearing, and then uh, I think balance and coordination and physical fitness, and then hit rank was their combat ability. But then um, as we played, we realized, you know, I realized, okay, I have need of other ability scores that do specific things. And so things started to get added into the game. And so that's kind of why a character sheet looks the way that it does with those ability scores. Um, and it's a roll under system for your any kind anytime you're trying to accomplish a task um, it's roll under it's percentile and your it's based off of your ability score and then that is modified if you have additional skills uh, in whatever it is you're trying to do so let's say if you're trying to pilot and that's based off of your balance and coordination coordination is the key keyword there um, so you'd use your base percentile from your DC, and then you would add any um, modifiers due to any piloting skills that you might have. And so that's that's how the system works in a nutshell. It's really simple. Combat's a little more complex. Um, we can get into that later if you want, but uh, but, it, but it is a different thing for sure. 
Um, but as far as character creation, um, no, there is no classes. You do have professions, and what they are for is uh, those professions are, are basically stepping stones. They're to get you started. And the way that the character creation is designed, it's designed to uh, mitigate choice paralysis. So you have your scores, and what you are, uh, what your scores are dictates what you're qualified for. So you might be qualified for, you know, uh, maybe you're only qualified for six or seven of those professions, and then you can kind of look through those and say which ones that you want. You're not faced with, um, with a you know, a whole bunch of professions and you have to decide what you want. You're kind of um, funneled into a band of professions and then you can choose from those. So your uh, classification, you you roll your dice, you roll your attributes, um, your ability scores, then you add your classification, which classification is the blanket uh, noun for uh, species or race or any of that. And um, I kind of came, came up with that in 85 because I didn't want to use race at that time. I don't remember why, but I just thought, well, classifications is a nice blanket term because it covers everybody because we've got synthetics too. We've got robots and we've got androids and things like that. So, um, but your classification bonuses determine your, uh, determine some, some more uh, bonuses to your, initial ability scores, and then you take that into your professions and see what you can qualify for. And then that gets you um, your profession, which gives you more bonuses and maybe some special skills, and then you're ready to play. Um, but if you wanted to move to a different profession, you can do that. If you wanted to save up your training points and try for one of the elite professions, uh, which are kind of arcane in nature, you could do that too. Um, it's all based around player choice. Like you could literally make whatever kind of character you want. It's there for you. It just gives you a place to start. Is That's what character creation does. And when I first met you, uh, I think it was on my Discord channel, uh, mm -hmm. and you shared uh, your initial drafts and i don't think they were maybe they were just or they were heading to drive through rpg and i remember you asking for feedback and and i started looking at it and you know my initial gut reaction i think i mentioned this to you in my comments was like oh well we need to osr this thing up right we got to modernize it do, do, do. and within eight pages i was like i wouldn't change a thing like <laughs> that, was my, that was like it was kind of like it had a certain charm of like it really is what it's meant to be and i was like yeah like you know so for that was actually a kind of a light bulb moment and it made me go hey i'd like to have you on the show at some point just to talk about that of like you know trends and and you know what you know what we would probably consider like if you were to, to design a game today with like an osr uh, viewpoint and like modern everything modern rule sets, simplistic rule sets and everything. But as I went through it, I kept going, no, it, this game has a, an aesthetic and a charm to it and the rules and just reinforce that. And based upon that too, is your your fine arts that we see some of them in the background of your um, studio there, I'm assuming. Um, and just maybe tell us about how you've done the layout and the art and over all these years, uh, was it more of a recent thing that you added the art to it or was there always that art? So 
because of art, speaking about the art, the because I've been playing this game so long, and it's kind of in my subconscious and like everything that I do, and that, that might be kind of weird, but um, what I find is that even because I'm I'm an artist by trade, I guess I'm this by trade now though, actually, because I'm doing this more now, but um, but a lot of the art that I created in the past. Um, I created with this sort of aesthetic in mind because in no small way that I myself have kind of fallen in love with this universe. And so um, a lot of the art that I create does have aspects of, of the game in it um, for good or for bad, you know, um, the cover of the book, it's interesting because this piece behind me here is it's called Jupiter or not Jupiter sending. It's called um Saturn rising and um, and it features a character from the game um, but it was designed for an art exhibition but it features a character from the game and um, so when I went to when I committed to to putting them into to print I was like well I need a I need a cover image and I was like well this is uh, Captain Antwi I'm gonna put her on the cover and for now and then I'll change it later you know when I have time but uh, at this point, this is the image that's associated with the game, and this has become the cover. So, and I'm fine with that. I, I like the painting, um, and it, it's representative of the game too. So, it's fine. Um, but so the the art that's in the game, uh, a lot of it was done before, and I either just touched it up a little bit, um, or in some cases with the older work, because there was some stuff that was just line drawing from the eighties. And uh, I took those into Photoshop and, and pretty them up and put them in there. Not, I didn't change them so much that original players wouldn't recognize them though, because I wanted them still to be recognizable. Um, and a lot of the other work that's in there, a lot of that is just digital. And I've been working over the last two years to, you know, uh, transcribe equipment uh, illustrations and things like that. A lot of those illustrations from like the Alliance market, like their old versions are definitely recognizable. Like they're the same model. They're just prettier versions of it now that I've done in Photoshop. But that was a two year process getting all the art in. And it was really important for me not to use stock art. I wanted to make sure that everything that was in the game is representative of the universe because as a player, when you're looking through a game, like I don't want to be me personally, like uh, this is just my opinion. I want to see stuff that has to do with the game specifically. I want to, I want to be able to point at it and say, okay, this is from the game. And as a creator, when somebody sees the art, I want people to say, oh, okay, I can see that this is from 6083 because of these reasons, you know, maybe it's the gear that they're wearing or, or whatever. But, uh, but it was really important for me to have that uh, specificity as far as uh, illustration, make sure that it was a true representation of the game world and not just stock art thrown in there. Um, I'm lucky in that regard because I'm an artist. And so I have the ability to do that. Um, and not everybody can do that because art is expensive. Um, so I, I recognize that I'm really, really lucky in that regard. And, um, and yeah, well, it also reinforces the fact that like, this is a one person, uh, creation. And mm -hmm. I really appreciate that as far as like, you know, almost 40 years 
you, you've been developing this and and your art is in it and it's your voice in it and your world in it and i'm not to not to disparage your like uh, dilute the impact that players have probably had like over the years play testers and and that sort of thing but you've um really this is your life's work in a sense uh it do you ever kind of take a step back and think about it like that like you mentioned at the beginning you didn't want this to be in the attic and get thrown out one day well i i do and and i don't mean to to get heavy for a moment or dark but um i was thinking about it and i was like well you know i'm, I'm 53 you know i've still got a lot of years left you know hopefully right but um but you know and i was in the military for 20, uh, 21 years of active duty. And so, you know, I've got awards from the military and medals and things like that, but they're abstract. So like, even to my kids, like, you know, they know about my medals and I'm sure that they're proud of me, but it's all abstract. It's not anything that they can touch. And, you know, and I'm an artist and I've created a lot of art and that's cool, but it's not really out in the world in the same way. And I, I just, I was thinking about it. It's like, what is my, what is my legacy to my kids? And I, I, when I was thinking about the game, I was like, well, this is nearly 40 years of development. And this is something that uh, I can pass on to them. And it's something that they can hold in their hands and say, this is something that dad did. And uh, that's, that's relatable. And, and so, yeah, I, I have thought about that, that in a way, um, you know, regardless of the other things that I've done in my life, that this is a reflection of my life in many ways. And uh, it is my legacy. So, And it's been well received. I know uh, lots of people have commented upon it, that I just, there's something about it that just resonates with them. And just, can you t talk to us like about, I mean, it's always a little bit nerve wracking to hit like publish on <laughs> drive through RPG oh, yeah, and, it is. and release it out into the world. How has it been received? Um, it's, it's been received well, but it's, it's always hard to gauge that because I, I get some direct feedback, but not proportionally. Um, like right now, um, last time I checked on drive RPG, I've had about 3000 downloads of, of the product. Um, and that's one, one or all of the things together. Um, but, um, the actual feedback I get from that is not commensurate with the, amount you know what i mean it's it's something like two or three percent of people getting back to me so it's hard to say um how it's being received other than excuse me other than what i do get in feedback is very positive so and, and i'm very appreciative of that um so it, it's hard to say um it's something that i know that in this industry that uh this is a long game it's sometimes I think that publishers get lucky and they hit something right away. But I think that in most cases, I think product has to be around for a little bit for it to really gain a foothold and a voice in the community. And it's, that's the waiting is the hardest part, right? And so you've got it broken down into there's the player's manual, the GM's manual, and then the Alliance market, which has a lot of the equipment in it. Um, and you've made a commitment that the PDFs will always be free. And maybe just talk to us about that, because I know that it hits home for you why you chose that. So uh, this goes back to why 6083 was created in the first place, is because I was too poor to afford anything. Like I was dirt poor. And, um, and I 
thought a lot, a lot about how I was going to publish this. And I, I settled on print on demand as opposed to a Kickstarter. Um, I, I might do a Kickstarter in the future, but I didn't do a Kickstarter for two reasons. Well, one, um, outside of my original player base, which is like, I don't know, like hundred and some people, like who else is going to contribute to that because it's an unknown property, you know? So I didn't want to fail a Kickstarter, um, because to publish, you know, you need it at a minimum, if you want to do like a print run, you need like something like 20 or $30,000. And it's like, well, but the other part of the Kickstarter, it's paying for like layout and artists and I'm doing all of that. So I thought, well, it seems a little bit disingenuous of me to ask for money for something that I'm already doing. Um, I will publish the product. And then when there is a printed option, if people want to give back that way, then they can buy the printed versions and, you know, and there we go. But, um, but the reason why that I've always committed, uh, why I've made that commitment for it to be free is because we do live in a society right now where maybe a lot of people aren't as poor as I was when I was a kid, but it was definitely a barrier to gaming. You know, like in order to game, I had to literally raid a Yahtzee set and create my own rules. And I thought, well, there might be other kids out there or just people in general that want to play a sci-fi game, but can't because the barrier for entry is too high. You know, most PDFs, you know, cost around 20 bucks. And I was like, well, I want to give back. And uh, so the PDFs that you can download, they're black and white. Um, they're optimized for uh, web viewing and, and for printing if you're going to print them out. Um, so they're not as fancy. They don't have all the illustrations, um, but it is a complete game. And uh, I just thought, well, that would be a really nice way to give back. And let's be honest. Um, I think that with most properties, there's a, a portion of people, not everybody, um, that are going to pass on a PDF that they have anyway. And so it's really hard to control something like that. And I think, well, as opposed to, uh, forcing a moral quandary about onto someone, whether they should or shouldn't share the PDF. I'll just make it free for everybody. And then that way there's no moral issues and anybody who wants to play a game, they can play it and they've got everything that they need right there. And, uh, and I think that for me, that just felt like the right thing to do. And that's why I made that decision. And you've recently now, I think just within the last month or so, started doing the print-on-demand uh, version mm -hmm. of them. And what was it like to get that first test copy to you? Oh, it was amazing. Uh, unfortunately, it had errors in it. Like, not so much like um, punctuation and things like that, but uh, formatting errors. And so I had to go back and, like, fix some things. I actually, I just received my hard copies the, for the for the hardbacks of the, of the game, um, their proofs, but hold, I think, hold that up again. So everybody can see at home. The Yeah. So yeah, these are the, this is the hardback, which is going to be available, uh, very soon, but there's a formatting issue in it. it. But the issue I think is at the printer and I'm waiting for feedback because, um, my soft cover versions, they're all available right now. And they're exactly the way that I want them. The interior files are the same. For some reason, the interior files on uh, the hardcover, um, there's some cropping issues, and I need to find out if that's at the printer or if that's something to do with me. So 
Um, if it's at the printer, then I'll reorder it, send another set of proofs, and then the hard copies will be available uh, as soon as I can give the give them thumbs up to to you know say go ahead and make those listings live. So, but that must have been exciting. Like like I said, it's almost forty years that you've been kind of developing this game and through different iterations of it and uh, expanding upon it to actually have that print version, even if it was a soft cover version in your hand. Was that kind of a bit of a milestone for you? It was an amazing moment. And every time that I get, uh, and, and it still is, every time that I open the books. Because um, when I was a kid, you know, I, you know, you think about, you had a lot of dreams. And, and this was always one of my dreams to publish the game. But I never thought I could do it because, you know, at that time, TSR was dominating and there was Games Workshop. And, um, you know, there was a couple other uh of uh i think palladium but uh it doesn't matter like i didn't have connections to any of those and i was like there's no way that somebody like me you know way out in the middle of alaska is ever gonna be able to publish these so you know it remained a pipe dream for me and but it was a dream like i used to think it would be awesome those original manuals are written in the manner that a book would be written even if they were written terribly um but they were written um, instructively, you know, like like a, a game manual is supposed to be written. So they weren't just like rules, um, you know, scribbled down for me. They were written carefully and with the voice of teaching someone to play the game. And um, so I always had it in my head, but it, it just never thought it would come to pass. But it did. And, and getting to open the box that first time, was a dream come true. It was a really amazing feeling to actually hold it in my hands. And then to be able, it's also vindicating and validating too, because, you know, cause I also, you know, have the game out here locally in Flagstaff and I have a local game group. And, you know, when someone says, you know, like, Oh, Hey, I'd like to play this game. What is it? A homebrew. And it's a really different thing to be able to produce professionally um you know professionally produced manuals and say yeah it's sort of but no it's just an independent game because it changes their perception of it it it, uh, it authenticates it um and i think that for me that that's been a, a really really great moment is every time that i have a new player who kind of um you know they don't know what to think about me or or um you know this idea of a new sci-fi game but as soon as they get the manual in their hands um and they get excited about it it's like opening that first box all over again for me you know it's uh it's that moment of discovery and that feeling of like well no matter what happens with the game you know um i, I need it happen and that's a, it's a beautiful feeling to be able to uh fulfill one's own strength, well, one's own dreams. So yeah, it's amazing. Well, that's cool. And I'm very happy to share your story because I think it's one that, uh, you know, we, I've heard the saying, you know, Einstein and how many Einsteins have we lost in the minds over the mm -hmm. years that uh, like had these visions or books. And I think I recently saw there's a video on uh, somebody that won the Pulitzer prize posthumously because the mother insisted upon trying to get it published and it, um, after his death, like eight years after, and he won it. So 
I'm very glad that you were able to bring this out to the world. And what what's the next steps for the game? And like, are there adventures coming? Uh, you mentioned maybe a Kickstarter in the future. Do you have any kind of inclinations where it's heading? Um, I do. And I want to circle back around to another thing that you asked about, because uh, I think it's important, but I'm going to answer your question first. Um, so the, the future is, is that... Um, Yes, there is adventures. Um, right now, there is one adventure up called the Loft Patrol. Um, I am currently working on a second adventure, The Signal. These two adventures are free to download. Um, uh, and then any adventures after that, you know, they'll be uh, they'll be monetized. But um, and then also all of them have print-on-demand options as well. Um, but uh, the plan is to continue to, is to continue to support the game as as long as possible, and for me that means the rest of my life, honestly. So uh, I have no intention of moving on to a different system or uh, publishing anything else. This has been, you know, my baby for the last, you know, forty years. It will continue to be my main focus. Um, so in the future, you did mention a Kickstarter. Um, my wife and I talked about uh, if the, in the future, maybe doing a uh, anniversary edition of the game that's uh, stitched binding instead of uh, glue for those that want it. So if we're able to do that, we will. Um, we might also do a Kickstarter for the expansion because this is the core game with all the stuff that, has been in it, but there are some things that I've held back because maybe they're a little bit more, I'm not going to say advanced. It's just maybe uh, it'd be better for a more experienced GM uh, to have that kind of material. So the expansion will include additional uh, enemy factions, more equipment, um, and some more uh, character uh, profession options and some more uh, character classification options. It's just gonna. It's just going to expand the game um, more. It gives you more options for the things that you're already doing. So it's. Um, but it's not going to. That's that's one of my other precepts. Is that I really dislike, just my opinion, uh, additions. In that um, I don't like it when a game gets revised and then uh, it makes the previous additions. Um, obsolete um i think that's in my opinion that's predatory <laughs> and I, I think it I, I think it upsets the players you know um so the game that you're playing of 6083 now is still going to be the same game that you're playing in the future you're just going to have additional material to play with um but i'm not going to revamp the rules and put out a second edition that's not something that's ever going to happen so um short answer Yes, the game will continue to get expansions. It will continue to get adventures. Um, I'm also working on a campaign uh, style adventure. Um, that one's, I don't know if that one's going to get launched in 2023 or not because it's pretty long. But as you pointed out, I'm one guy. So I'm doing the best I can, going as fast as I can. Well, that's great. And uh, I'll have all the links in the, the show notes to drive through RPG and your uh, website, missioncontrol6083.com and where they can get the game. And uh, 
uh, where else can we, there's Instagram. I know you're on uh, TikTok and all those things. We'll have all those in the show notes and then in the, in yeah. the video description. But, uh, you know, I just want to say, I'm very happy to be able to share your story. I think it's, it's a really incredible one. I think a lot of people probably, uh, feel very connected to that because a lot of us older gamers have probably developed something in the past and it's nice to see something like this and a good news story come out of it. Well, uh, to circle around, around to one of your comments about the gaming, which I really appreciate um, that, that you wouldn't have changed it. Um, the original books, even though they're handwritten, were laid out this way. Um, they were laid out in single columns as opposed to two columns. And um, they're written and organized in a very specific way. And the reason why that I've retained that formatting is be, to honor the player base. Like there might only be a hundred or so like diehard 6083 fans that have been playing over the years, but this game is kind of a, a love letter to them and, and to me. Um, and that's why it is the way that it is. Like there's certainly some modernization in far, as far as layout or even game mechanics that we could put into it. But I think that that would really be betraying what it is. Like it's successful, it's had the testing and it is what it is. And, um, and uh, I guess either, either people will love it or, you know, or it might not be their cup of tea, but, but it will remain what it is. And so I, I appreciate you saying that about the manual because that's, that's very, very near and dear to me um, to keep the formatting the way it is. Well, Jason, I just want to say, you know, thank you for uh, joining us today. Thank you for sharing your story and your game and uh, wish you all the best in the future. Gary, it has been an honor. Thank you so much for inviting me. Uh, I appreciate it so much.